Nightingale. Welcome to season three of the Piper podcast, How I Grew My Brand, where we talk to successful entrepreneurs about their businesses. This time, it's all about partnerships, the joys and the challenges of building a business together. Today, I'm with Giles Humphreys and Miles Hopper, two of the three co-founders of Mindful Chef, the healthy recipe box delivery brand. In 2015, lifelong friends Giles, Miles and Rob Gree-Gran started Mindful Chef to help make healthy eating easy. Well, to date, they've sold more than three and a half million meals, so it would seem that they are succeeding in doing exactly that. So welcome, Giles and Miles. Thank you very much. So what exactly does Mindful Chef do? Explain. Giles. Uh, we aim to make healthy eating easy. We send boxes of delicious, local, healthy produce around the country to people's doorsteps uh, on a weekly basis. And those boxes contain bags with pre-prepared ingredients, fresh ingredients, vegan dishes, meat, fish, everything in between. And that allows customers to cook up at home following a recipe card that's also in the box. So think of it as your, your weekly grocery shop delivered to your door without much thinking needed and our take is that it's extremely healthy and it takes away that pain point of thinking, oh, how do I stick to a healthy diet every week in amongst the, the modern day chaos? OK, well, we are going to talk a lot more about the brand and, and how it came into being and what exactly it is later on. But first of all, the partnership. You were lifelong friends, weren't you? So so how did you meet? Well, we must have known each other what, for about 17 years now. Yeah. Things like that. Goodness a, bit, no, a bit longer, actually, it would be. We're getting old, Giles. Um, so we all went to the same school. Uh, myself, Giles and Rob went to Exeter School in Devon. Slightly different ages, which actually makes it quite nice. So whenever we go back and speak to the school, we say, don't just think about your immediate peers. Like, look outside, actually, because you never know what might happen. But um, sort of around the same ages that we all used to either play sports together or we'd actually spend our summers in Cornwall working little sort of, you know, shop jobs or car parking jobs and actually spend the rest of our time sort of on the beaches or in the surf. How much of a risk do you think it is setting up a, a business with friends? Um, I mean, I've heard a few horror stories, so it certainly is probably a risk. I mean, I think not being quite the same age definitely helps. You know, we've all got our own circle of friends as well outside of our immediate one. You know, it, it works really well because... You have different personalities, so you, you don't always clash. There's three of us. So, you don't you always know, clash. Don't always clash. <laughs> no, there's times over the years where you certainly do, but, you know, a democracy, two always beats one, so you can usually always come to a decision. And actually, no, you know, friendship's still there after the, uh, after the last five years. What were you doing be- immediately before you set up the business? What were your original careers? Uh, I left Loughborough University and originally worked at Betfair for a, for a little bit, um, which was an introduction to the e-commerce world, pre-IPO then. And I was there for about four years and then I moved to MNC Saatchi, where I really enjoyed my time there, which was a fantastic experience working with the likes of Diageo and Pally Power and NatWest and EE. So a really broad range of clients. What about you, Miles? Because you weren't in business to, in the same way at all, were you? No, so I attended Cardiff University and then went to play rugby semi-professionally um, sort of around the world. Injured quite a few times uh, with my knee, so then decided I had to grow up somewhat and actually should start working. Um, and also living in London, you know, it's quite expensive if you are injured and not able to do anything. So um, I was also a personal trainer and nutritional coach, which I'd done for about 10 years all over the world. For me, 
what that did it was all you know your own business you had to start it from the ground up you had to go and get all your own clients the nitty-gritty of working for free for about 40 50 hours a week just trying to onboard new clients and then retain them so it actually gave me a really good idea of how to start a business do you think that you had that sort of entrepreneurial spirit within you already well I'll let Giles speak for himself and Rob because they, they'd actually spoken about numerous businesses. But for me, my father, he actually had his own businesses as well. So actually just growing up in that environment, well, why would I want to go and work for somebody else and be at their beck and call actually when you can go and create your own business and set it up how you want to do it and run it your way? And did your dad influence you, Miles? With this, unfortunately not, because he actually passed away when I was about 16. But um, up until that point, I think he certainly had sort of that, this is what you can do go and start your own business and then my mum's incredibly hard working as well you know she should have had three jobs while we we're at school just to make sure we could uh, continue on so actually I think all of those different traits from both of them has really helped me with Mindful Chef over the years. Giles what about you? Born entrepreneur? Made entrepreneur? <laughs> what do you think? It's an interesting one isn't it? I mean tracing it back through the family my grandpa was one of the founding partners of Axminster Carpets but from my own personal experience over the last 10 years or so, Rob and I were discussing a number of ideas over the years, but nothing ever came to fruition. I always had these little projects on the go. So alongside Saatchi, I was running, and actually Betfair, I was running um, these big cycle rides across Europe. So I started cycling to Cardiff with two friends to raise money for a cancer charity. And by the time that event finished, 132 riders was just shy of the Tour de France size, but we were doing it on open roads not closed roads so we had we had five support vehicles doctors physios the works and that that was all myself and one other friend along along the side and it expanded very quickly to the point where we had probably two three hundred applicants and we we just said that we it's it's alongside our jobs we can't take that many people but there's lots of things there where I thought oh goodness this this could go into being a pretty good business I ran a, a big black tie ball every year in London for 800 people um good lord you were busy yeah. weren't you? <laughs> but lots of these things these events along the side of my job I guess showed a an entrepreneurial spirit. So how did Mindful Chef come about then? You know, of all these plates you were spinning, one of them you actually decided to go with. So how did the idea first come? So it was in the summer of 2014. We were down on a friend's fishing boat near Exeter. The friends actually are builders by trade, but then they have a little fishing boat, goes out a day boat, and um, they sell the catch to the local villagers. And what they do is go out in the morning, come back in and then text, so literally SMS, all the local villagers. We've got X, Y and Z today that we've caught. We saw them just handing over this fish straight from the ice. We thought, that's pretty amazing. We were discussing how things get stuck in supply chains for quite long periods. I always use the example of prawns when we, we found the UK's first ever prawn farm uh, in Lincolnshire of all places um, but uh, when we when we met those farmers I didn't realise that 99% of prawns in the UK supermarkets are from abroad and of those the average time that they are air freighted and then frozen just sat frozen in a warehouse on average the ones that you'll pick off the supermarket shelves are frozen for about 9 to 12 months and we thought this is crazy. This is amazing how this project is being landed locally and given to the villagers. How can we take this to a slightly broader market across the UK? That's where the idea started. And then Rob said, well, Rob at the time was living in New York. And he said, well, there's these recipe boxes 
they're taking off in America. Haven't seen many in the UK, but it's quite interesting. It basically cuts out the old supply chain model and and runs from farm to fork, so to speak. And that's how the the journey began, I guess. We started digging from there on. Yeah, I think that was the eureka moment. But then we didn't simply just want to be another copycat. You know, we wanted to do it differently. We wanted to have our own set of values. And more importantly, we thought, do you know what? A lot of people can cook a pasta bake or they can cook a chilli. They don't find that really hard. What a lot of people find really difficult is eating healthily. So we thought if we can remove that pain point and actually just make it as easy as possible, but also taste really good because otherwise people won't continue to do it, you might be onto something. And and not only will it have a positive impact on people's lives just in terms of healthier eating, but also we thought from a business point of view, okay, well, actually, if this solves this pain point, things like retention, all of that sort of side of the business should actually be better than the ways that other people are doing it right now. So that was the idea. How did the offer evolve in those early days? Giles had all these business ideas and we picked the hardest one with fresh food, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is an incredibly difficult thing to get right, isn't it? It's complicated, yeah. It? It's complicated, mean, yeah. yeah, and all three of us having no real experience in, you know, the food chain whatsoever bar putting on some yellows and going out on a boat for a day and, you know, fishing with our friends. Um, but in the early days, you know, it was a very limited offering. It was only three recipes you could get, um, all meat and fish at the time. Uh, and we just set up a website overnight, put it up there and thought if people will we'll give it a go and see if it, there's any appetite for it. And, you know, the next step was, OK, we need to find some suppliers. We need to go out in our little mindful chef Del Boy Trotter van with the bumper falling <laughs> off, but our logo emblazoned proudly on the side. Did it? It had the logo? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's where we spent our early money. You can make sure you've got the logo. Um we were very lucky to grow up with amazing suppliers around my doorstep. So you started local? All around Devon and Cornwall and, uh, you know, smaller, very small farms. And essentially we'd have to go and beg the farmers to actually supply us because when when people are supplying you with, I don't know, 10 steaks or whatever, you know, they're a bit like, is this worth my time? But, um, you know, we managed to persuade them over time and they started to believe in us a little bit more. And we said that it will come, it will come, stick with us. And, um, and then just got ourselves a very small unit warehouse no bigger than this room we're in actually I think it's a bit smaller and, and worked from Rob's apartment behind Waterloo and it went from there yeah we, we set up I think it's a Shopify store off the shelf got the website going pretty quickly we all read the Eric Rees's book The Lean Startup and basically thought well look just get an MVP out the door let's just see if people actually want to buy these healthy meals mm. and this was April 2015 when we officially launched it to the world, so to speak, the world being our friends and family. Yeah. Um, Quite a small world yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah. I think the first first week was about 10 orders, maybe 11. And the first recipe was designed by who? By us, initially. By us. And we what thought, was the first recipe? I think we had a lasagna, like a healthy take on lasagna, because we've, we've always been gluten-free and dairy-free as well, and that was by the nature of not wanting to use... Um, any processed ingredients and actually if we call ourselves mindful chef you know we need to really be able to cater for everyone so low carb yes but it's not about losing weight is it no it isn't so we've really tried to look at health from a holistic point of view and we only do evening dinners so we're not catering for the rest of your day yet 
might do in the future. But um, <laughs> it really is just trying to help people find a bit more balance. It's trying to take out some of the things that maybe you shouldn't necessarily be eating lots of, replacing it with just more vegetables, better quality ingredients. You know, we use some of the very best suppliers across the UK, you know, free range chicken, 100% grass fed beef, and just removing some of those ingredients that you can still eat, but actually you're probably eating a bit too much of it in your diet. Some people will lose weight using Mindful Chef. Others, we have athletes from Team GB who use it, you know, they're not trying to lose weight. And you have cyclists who are having to eat 5,000 calories a day or whatever, and they'll still include Mindful Chef just because it gives them a varied diet every single week. They get to cook different recipes as well. What I want to talk to you about is the brand, you know, that Piper focus on, on understanding what makes a brand better and different. It's what they're all about. You know, the food delivery market is quite busy, isn't it? And it is getting busier. What makes you at Mindful Chef better and different? I think it all ultimately comes down to the ingredients. When we started out, we knew there was HelloFresh and Gusto. For us, it was all about how can we be different? It's the health proposition. And how can we also take that to another level? Well, let's ensure that we are the very best quality. Think of us as the Waitrose of the Recipe Box world. When we actually dissected what they were doing, there was no free-range chicken. There was lots of fish flown in from air freighted from abroad and we said well let's just let's keep it local number one let's promise never to air freight in any meat or fish and then let's make sure that the quality we're using from the uk is of the very highest standards so i think you've got this this quite impressive meal that you've created from ingredients that you probably wouldn't have used whilst also hitting that pain point that mars alluded to earlier which is we're actually making making healthy eating genuinely easy because if you ask most people, they do want to be a little bit healthier. What about the price? I, I, I have a confession here. I've never, I've never ordered a recipe box, right? I'm probably one of the few people. I obviously will now, evidently, but I, I never have because it's always, in my mind, it's felt like an expensive luxury option. So persuade me that I'm wrong. Giles. It's on average about £7 per person per dinner. So... Lots of friends initially would say to me in the early days would go, well, I'd probably spend about £5 on my dinner if I swing by one of the supermarkets, grab and go. When I then asked them initially, OK, well, yeah, it probably is a couple of pounds more than if you base it on that. But next time you drop into a Sainsbury's, Sesco's, Waitrose, etc., just let me know how much you do spend. And what you normally hear back is, oh, well, actually, yeah, I probably did spend 15, 20 quid because I picked up a load of unnecessary stuff that I didn't go in thinking I, thinking I needed, you know, crisps, dip, et cetera, et cetera. So number one, I think people's perception of their shopping bills is slightly warped. But I think actually the main point, which I find a really interesting one, and actually it's, quite, it's, it's a bit of a challenge for us from a marketing perspective to get this across, because people say it, but how you put it succinctly to prospective customers is an interesting one. It is the cognitive load element, so it's the planning element of your weekly shop. Essentially, what we hear from people is you completely take any of the planning and the cognitive load and the stress sometimes of thinking about what's for dinner, the WhatsApp conversations with my partner at the end of a busy day. Are you sorting dinner? Am I? Oh, can you just nip by the local Tesco Express? Oh, well, you're closer. Can you do it tonight? Please don't just get spag bowl again. It's, it's on repeat. All of these small little things add up. And actually, what you hear from people on the review sites is, do you know what? For an extra in relative terms, a very small amount of money every week. I, I just don't have to think about it. And this box lands on my doorstep once a week. I open it, I pop these 
little paper bags into my fridge. And I know that for two, three, four, five, however many dinners they choose with us, I know that it's just sorted. The thing you said that really chimes with me is is taking away the headache of it because I think the biggest hassle with cooking in the evening is working out what to cook. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is is the concept of waste. But presumably there isn't any waste or much waste with, with getting a recipe box, is that right? Food waste is a massive problem um, and a lot of the time it's out of sight, out of mind for people and one of the great things about recipe boxes are there is none, you know, it's all pre-portioned when it gets to you, so what you get you will use all of um, within that recipe. You're listening to the Piper Podcast and I'm talking to Giles and Miles from Mindful Chef. As you know, Piper believed there are these key inflection points in a business where there needs to be a step change, and they call it 71770, which is, you know, turnover or number of sites or number of people or whatever. Tell me about the challenges of the early years of the business. You know, I'm thinking perhaps in terms of zero to seven million or, or, I don't know, zero to seven people. You started with three people anyway, didn't you? So talk to me about that very early point and the challenges that you found. In terms of people, it wasn't actually too difficult. When you're starting out the, a business, I think you're able to onboard really good people, just really smart, hungry people who believe in your vision and your goals and just you know want to contribute their all to the business. And getting to seven was was fine. There weren't any real headaches there. It was probably more actually on the financial side. I don't think we ever realised how much money we would need um, with this business. There's a lot of infrastructure that goes behind it, a lot of technology needed in order to, I mean, we were doing 300,000 ingredients for a warehouse and we only had three guys looking after the operational side. So really it was finances and funding rounds, you know, rescue boxes were still in their infancy. Um, everyone had seen Hello Fresh and Gusto. They couldn't really tell how we were different. After our first fundraise, everyone was going, oh, we can see it now. We can see how you're different. But um, it was really going out and persuading people that we did have a unique proposition. Do you wish that you had sought funding earlier? Is that is that what you're saying? That you, you, you were sort of naive, maybe, financially to begin with, Giles? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, my reflection on the first few years was actually it was incredibly tough. And the seven million point actually was quite a turning point in that when Piper invested it, or when we were discussing investment, it was around the seven million mark. It was actually, we were growing so quickly, but by the time they invested, it was revenues were a lot higher than that. But I feel those first three years, say, were a very rewarding, but very challenging in that I think, to your point, Mary, we definitely underestimated the need for funding early doors. And secondly, we had a very small team, as Miles said. So there was us three. And then I think up until last year, there was probably maximum 14 of us. And the point there is that we were essentially trying to do everything without that level of funding. The business was growing at 170% year on year. We didn't have a big infrastructure. So we just kept on growing at a pace and essentially doing everything ourselves. One of us would drive the van whilst the other one would be on Instagram uploading the latest uh, marketing campaign and you'd also be reading the manifest about which where your next drop was. Plus, Sorry, I'd, I'd love how you just call that a marketing campaign <laughs> back in the day. That was probably a picture of Giles driving the van or something. That'll do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, things must have gone wrong. 
oh, yeah. in those early days? There was one one good example when we launched the first vegan range. No one else was doing it, and we spotted this trend and thought, let's go for it. We got about 50 uh, press boxes lined up. 100. Was it? Yeah, because it was three okay. digits. I remember. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. Um, and we got them all lined up, ready to go. Uh, and in there was tofu, and we'd obviously never shipped tofu because we hadn't done vegan dishes before, and we got the tofu ready, and we got to the end of the packing line, and this was, again, when we were still packing ourselves. It was us three plus maybe five helpers, of which a lot, a lot of the time it was friends or family, and we were in the warehouse, and it got to the end of the day on a Sunday. It was about 7 p.m., and the couriers normally would come at the end of the day and pick up the boxes, and we realised we'd run out of ice packs, and we had underestimated the fact that the tofu that we had ordered needed ice packs. Some tofu's ambient, this one wasn't. So... The ice packs we had were two connected in the middle and you could just snip the scissors down the middle and, and and if you were careful, you could separate them and you could double up an ice pack. So that's what we did and we thought successfully the boxes went out and then the next day we got a phone call from an editor at the Times who just said, thanks so much for the lovely, healthy vegan box. Unfortunately, I opened it on the floor and as I opened picked up the box the entire bottom just fell through and it was soaking wet and one of the ice packs had been nicked and we got calls like this throughout the day oh. um, so I mean that was our first example of wow we're really trying to push the boundaries here launching the first ever vegan recipe box in the UK and we've delivered probably half of them as soggy boxes to journalists mm. when Giles was saying about the early days being hard they were certainly hard what I was trying to allude to actually when there's seven of you in an apartment it's very different to when there's you know we now have four then you do really need more structure within the business. So that that's what I was alluding to there. Um, how did you fund the business in, in the early days? Yeah, so self-funded initially, um, and then we had a very early round, agile investors, a couple hundred thousand. And then because actually a lot of the institutional uh, investors were sort of saying, oh, we'll see how you get on in the next year or so. So we thought, okay, well, we'll have to go and crowdfund then because there isn't any other option. But actually, it's turned out, looking back, it was a, a fantastic option for us. Um, I mean, I remember being stood in a pub with Giles and Rob just before we launched on Cedars in 2016 with Cedars. And we hadn't paid ourselves for three months. I think we paid the couple of staff we had. We thought... Well, we really have no option, but if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but we're going to have to go on anyway and set the target for about 400,000, I think it was, um, and actually managed to raise a million in 12 days. So we took it down before, before we gave away too much of the company. Wow. But the great thing was actually from that sprung hundreds of investors, their customers essentially, who really believed in the business passionately. And then also we had some high profile customers as well, which we didn't realise <laughs> until we launched, um, the likes of Victoria Pendleton, who'd been a customer for months under a different name. And also um, Sir Andy Murray came on board as well as, an as investor. investors. Oh, wow. I remember we were sat in, in the apartment and Victoria actually rang up the uh, customer service line, which was a mobile, I think, back then, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and just said, oh, I see you're fundraising. I'm actually a customer. Um, I'd love to invest. And uh, she's been fantastic ambassador for the business ever since. Well, I was going to ask you about ambassadors because you've got Fern Cotton, haven't you, who's also a high-profile user of your recipe boxes. How important is it to have, you know, celebrity supporters? Um, I think... For us, celebrities are great. Um, you know, we built the business off of sending free boxes out to high-profile people. And um, we never said you had to do anything. We just said, if you like it, we're a small business. It would be very grateful if you could just, you know, 
give us a shout out or whatever it might be. Um, and actually, we, we gained a lot of momentum from that. But truly where Mindful Chef um, uses ambassadors is actually at a more ground level. It's actually using your local Pilates teacher who actually does something else as well. So we have a Pilates teacher who actually teaches Pilates to refugees as well. They hold those sorts of classes. So it's actually, they have a big impact within their small communities and you're able to bring people on to sort of the, the mission of Mindful Chef and we're able to, to create a bit more buzz around it. What prompted you to take additional funding? At what point did you decide, okay, we need to, we need to do more now? I mean, number one, we were growing very quickly and there is a big sea change going on in the uh, e-commerce grocery space. Currently, the UK is actually a leader globally with about 7% penetration of groceries being online. That's quite remarkable, really, that it's a leader and it's still at 93% is offline. It's a huge vertical of consumer spending. And, and so for us, we thought, well, let's maintain our foothold, essentially. We're probably the third largest in the UK behind HelloFresh and Gusto. We see ourselves as totally different because of the health proposition, but our biggest barrier is just awareness. You know, if you were to go outside of London and ask people whether they'd heard of Mindful Chef, you'd have about 99% no, I've never heard of them. So I think for us it's awareness. Let's raise some capital. Um, let's find an institutional investor that we can see ourselves getting into bed with long term. Let's go and raise the right amount of capital and let's continue to scale the business up. We don't really need to ch change too much in terms of the methods we've been using. I think it's more just expanding the team, providing a bit more structure. And we had talked to a number of institutional investors over the years, but it felt the right time. So you chose Piper. Explain to me the, the process and how you came to select Piper as your investment partner. We actually got to know many of the team over the course of Mindful Chef's journey, actually. So, you know, the previous sort of two years actually been in touch with the teams, whether it be at various um, discussion panels or, or wellness events or whatever it might be. Actually, what really drew us to Piper was their work with great premium brands and actually understanding uh, the purpose behind brands as well. You know, we've spoken a lot about the proposition of Mindful Chef and, and it is healthy eating made easy, but there's actually a big story behind what we do in terms of when you become a customer and the community you get involved in, some of the, the charitable aspects, the fact we're a B Corp, you know, so we do do things differently and we're trying to change the way that businesses operate and actually, you know, have a bit more of a positive impact on the wider society, not just within Mindful Chef and everything that's happening there. And Piper really believed that and got on board with it. And and like Giles said, you have to look at a partner that actually you think you'll be able to work with in the good times and the bad. You know, this isn't a short stint for us. It is We built this from the ground up and we are in it for the long run. So really you have to have people on board that A, believe in what you're trying to do, your mission, and then also that you can work with. You um, started off, all three of you, doing everything. How have the roles divided out now? Yeah, you have to do everything, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. But, but not to a begin choice. with, you do. But then yeah. you, yes. uh, things have to sort of divide up, don't they? Because yeah. you can't all do everything. Absolutely. Um, naturally, for myself and Giles, it was always going to be on the marketing brand side. Rob is very uh, numerically gifted and operationally as well. So for us, it was, OK, well, let's focus in on what we're really interested in and, more importantly, what we're actually 
really good at. So, you know, Rob wanted to focus more on operations and tech. Giles, it was more the marketing and especially the performance side, so the growth. And then for me, latterly, it's more the marketing brand and sort of the community piece. And with that, actually, we decided to bring in a CEO. I think it's one year anniversary <laughs> the other Tim week. Tim Lee, isn't Tim it? Tim Lee, yes. Mm. Um, and actually, we took the decision to bring him in pre-Piper. And actually, I think it was a really astute move, a good move from us. Um, a lot of founders don't want to relinquish power. But at Mindful Chef, we've always tried to bring in really smart people around us and actually utilise their skills. And actually, he's been a great addition to the team. Yeah, I mean, as entrepreneurs, I think it's very easy to, to cling on for dear life and you read a lot of lot of stories like this where sometimes it really does work and a lot of time it really doesn't where you cling on to trying to control everything and if you do that I think you often will stunt the business's growth and progress whereas you should understand that there are always going to be better people in any area of the business than you they may not know the business as well as you but they will be able to come in and add a lot more value if you if you empower them and give them autonomy and, and choose the right people for us it was just about bringing someone in with a bit more experience, in in Tim's case, a a lot more experience in the food space and uh, particularly the online food space and allowing us to flourish in our respective areas, which has helped massively, I think. Do you think you're unusual in a sense being so clear-sighted? Because when you meet entrepreneurs, they often find it very difficult to remove themselves in the way that you've described. They're so close to it. I think, to be honest, by the point we'd sort of made the decision, we were all craving it anyway. We wanted to have more structure in the business. You know, mine and Giles and Rob's actually time is, you know, always spent doing lots of different things. Right now we're here, you know, we're not in the office. They'll be having a team meeting this morning. Luckily, Tim will be leading that. So we're always doing all these different things as well as actually trying to grow the business and the day jobs. You know, don't get me wrong, we're still heavily involved in all of the decision making. We have our weekly leadership meetings which is, um, you know, myself, Giles, Rob and Tim. And ultimately, the decisions still do come from all of us as a collective. It's just Tim's able to look into the future a bit more, give a bit more clarity, give a bit more reporting up, reporting down. So I actually think it works really well. Mm. What do you think were the main challenges of moving from, you know, to return to the 717-70 model? Between 7 and 17, you're now well on your way to 70, aren't you? But in, in that sort of intermediate stage, what were the main challenges, do you think, Giles? I guess that's, that's really easy to answer, isn't it? Because it's something that's happened since the Piper investment. It's It's been scaling the team. So it's been going from three mates plus probably 10 staff in the apartment to two offices now. We've now got 45 staff. The business is still going at about 160% year on year. Revenues have shot up and, and suddenly... The, the challenge has been to uh, scale that staff base, bringing in people who we believe are a great addition to the team culturally as well as um, obviously performance-wise. We don't have an HR person. We don't have an office manager. We don't have you know any executive assistants or anything like that. In our case, we've been interviewing everyone. Um, we've been going out there, finding people proactively on on things like LinkedIn. But I think it's been that process of hiring, onboarding people, making sure that we've got the right people and finding very driven self-starters. And and a lot of time has been spent, um, I guess, between that 7 to 17 phase, investing time in people. How difficult has it been, how difficult is it to maintain your friendship between the three of you? We all have our own circle of friends as well, outside of 
myself, Giles and Rob. Um, There probably have been times where we've got on each other's nerves, but the good thing about being friends is that you can actually tell people exactly what you think, which we've never shied away from. It's a bit more difficult, actually, if you have staff members, you can't necessarily do that. So actually, between us, we're able to tell it exactly how it is. And as I said, because there's not two of you, there's actually three. There's generally always you know a general consensus around it so um no we still are all good friends still getting on i'll get a lift back with giles after this so no, we'll no you won't <laughs> you'll be walking in the rain <laughs> and what, what about the best bits if you were to think of of highlights you know it's it's not been that long has it what, no. five years yeah. yeah one would be um our work with one feed to two which i'm incredibly proud of for every meal our customers buy we donate a school meal to a child living in poverty at the moment all of our meals go to children in malawi we've now done over one and a half million i think we'll do 1.7 million by the end of this month um, which is incredible for a small business and you just think if more people got involved like how much more of a bigger impact we really have and that's something I'm really proud of because it's not just us doing it it's also our customers getting involved and it's something that they can um, feel a part of as well and then from a very personal point of view is sort of when you look back we had our summer party not too long ago and you know there's 45 of you and you think wow look at all these people having a really like nice time and I remember I was chatting with um, one of the girls who's been with us since the beginning and she was like isn't it amazing just how many people are now involved in this and really feel a part of the business and and yes it's been a struggle at times to maintain the culture but we have managed to and actually when you get people bought into the mission and they're all sharing like a similar goal actually it's just a really nice environment to be around. For me it's forming not just a business relationship but friendships with some of our most loyal customers members of the public and also some of the well-known faces like victoria pendleton who has said to us look you know i really really believe that this is the future of healthy eating or it might be the 21 year old nurse who we started delivering boxes to in the early days who said look i don't have that greater income but you transform my life I'm eating so much better, et cetera. And you get to know these people on a daily basis. And I think that's a a general feeling of, wow, we're actually accomplishing something quite quite amazing here. What next for the business? What's going to drive the next stage of growth? I think two things. One is continuing to grow the core of the business, which is the recipe boxes. That is only going to grow because of the, the, the sea change of fresh groceries going online. But for us also, there is quite an exciting opportunity to expand into other areas of healthy eating. We've developed a frozen range. We launched that um, probably three months ago now. And with very, very little pushing, it's over the million pound revenue mark already as a standalone product line, which is really exciting because we haven't done much, much pushing that. And it does enable us to have other conversations as well Mm. with other uh, partners to potentially utilise other channels. The the exciting thing for moving forward from here and over the next couple of years is is being more relevant more often. What do you put your success down to? I mean, how much of it is luck? How much of it is timing? How much of it is uh, just sheer talent? Timing's massive for us. We jumped feet first in at a time that has seen, as we've talked at length, about groceries going online fast. And at exactly the same time, health and wellness rising to the fore. We always say that back when, even when I was at university, these companies like Lululemon and Sweaty Betty, they certainly weren't 
mass market. People weren't walking around parks in jogging bottoms and there weren't huge park runs up and down the country. And we sit in that sweet spot really nicely between those two mega trends, really. And so I think it's down to timing. And then my other thing would just be, from our perspective, dogged persistence in terms of saying we really, really do believe in this, so let's really follow it through. I mean, I remember the early days when we were doing Monday to Friday in the office, which was an apartment, and then Saturday and Sunday at 6am till about 6pm, we would be down in the warehouse doing the packing ourselves, and it nearly did break us. And so that really is just a will to just strap in and really go for it because we truly believe that there was a need for it down the line. Yeah, I think actually we had a really strong proposition as well. You know, there were other companies who came, entered the UK market at the same time, who are well-funded and actually operate in different countries around the world and exited, you know, two years later because they couldn't compete with HelloFresh and Gusto because the proposition wasn't any different. Whereas we've actually managed to flourish in the last couple of years and whilst everyone else has put their prices down, Mindful Chef has put their prices up and we've continued to grow at 160%, 170%. So I think timing is really important, but it's also, like Jar said, the, the dogged determination and also just saying, do you know what? Yes, we could copy somebody else's model and do it like they do, but how about we tear that up and do something really different and something that we're passionate about? Because if you're passionate in something... When you are working, actually, it wasn't until 6 p.m. on the Sunday, Giles. We had to do customer service after that. Oh, so yeah. it was until about 11 p.m. when some DVD driver's throwing somebody's box over a gate, you know. <laughs> um, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Otherwise, you wouldn't continue doing it. So what advice would you give to other would-be entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who are, you know, perhaps further back in the journey than you are? Make sure that you are fundamentally different and that you build a brand that, that that stands for something, I think that will be a long-term trend as well mm-hmm. um, about making business that's, that's more than just about profit. So in our case, it was about making sure that we're uh, accredited as a B Corp in the early days. And I think points of difference like that really help you stand out to the consumer who ultimately you can sit and analyse as many strategy decks and data points, et cetera, but ultimately what you look like and what your product feels like in the hands of the consumer is, is fundamentally what will, what will make or break the business long term. How would you want your customers to describe you? I loved my job and having and being a personal trainer and you know having a small positive impact on those people that I saw every day. For me it was the ability to be able to speak to a far larger audience and have that sort of positive impact on more and more people. So as long as people are kind of saying, do you know what, Mindful Chef, it makes my life a bit easier, a whole lot better. It's given me the enjoyment back of cooking. Cooking shouldn't be a stress, it shouldn't be a chore. It's a shared experience with like loved ones or, or whatever, and you sit down for a meal and you have those interactions. And actually, I'm able to give back through, you know, just contributing to this business. I would agree with all that. And I'd say that people probably, I'd hope, would describe it as this amazing like-minded community. This is people helping each other out, sharing tips, sharing tricks, not just of the food itself, but actually slightly broader lifestyle points and health points. And having this amazingly powerful community is certainly something that I hope others talk about in saying that it's full of like-minded people who just want a slightly healthier lifestyle with a very small change to the way you shop. You can have a massive impact on the way you live. I think that is how I'd like people to describe it. Mm, I think you've converted me. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much, Miles and Giles. Thank you very Thank much you for indeed. having us.